Hello, everybody. Welcome to the PFN Scouting Podcast. If you guys uh, have any observational skills whatsoever, you can see I am in a new environment. We are going to be ranking the edge prospects that we have watched so far in the 2023 college football season. And we are also going to get over go over the games from this past weekend because there were so many good. I mean, listen, I, I cover both the the NFL draft and I uh, also cover the NFL. I gotta say, the weekend slate was all on Saturday and nothing on Sunday because it was a bad week of NFL football. It was a phenomenal week of college football. Unfortunately, because I was traveling, I didn't get to watch nearly as much as I wanted to. But we are going to get into it first of all. As always, I got to ask, Ian, how are you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. It was a great college football weekend. And for our coworkers at PFN, it was a good NFL weekend because the Dolphins scored 70 points. Uh, they, I think they broke the franchise record uh, for um, for points in a game, right? And I think they also broke the NFL record for yardage in a game. Yes. So uh, shout out to the guys at PFN. We know they're not winning a Super Bowl this year, so they got to cherish it. Well, they got No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> but so, no, it, it was a fun week. It was a fun week of uh, football on both sides of the ball uh but college especially man i mean we were talking about heading in so many good games to watch uh, on the prospect side and just the college football side uh, whether you're a fan or whether you're an evaluator uh there was so much to take in and games like florida state clemson colorado oregon ohio state notre dame um, and a few one-offs too like alabama's defense washington state's offense man I, there was a lot to unpack so let's get right into it let's not waste any more time Yes, let's get into it. And I think the first one that we have to talk about is the first game of that day, Florida State and Clemson. It was a bit of a prospect fest. is, And that is what you wrote down uh, beautifully on the podcast show sheet here. Uh, I mean, we're going to go over the wide receivers on Thursday, but Keon Coleman. Uh, have we seen, and I think that Jamar Chase might be the answer here, but have we seen a legitimate alpha the way that Keon Coleman has kind of become that guy for Florida state. Like the guy that when you get inside the 20, you literally just need to throw a red zone fade to him. I, I don't remember a guy that had that sort of kind of old school X receiver elite skill set like Coleman seems to have. Yeah. I, I don't think we've seen it for a while, for sure. I remember Jamar Chase having that trait for sure. Uh, but it, even in this cycle too, like Marvin Harrison Jr., he was coming into the year, uh, very good contested catch player. But those contested catches are off of, you know, actual routes that he's running. You know, with Keon Coleman, they just tell him to, you know, go a nine route, go boundary uh, vertical route and just throw it up to him, right? It's really just that's part of the game plan for him. And he comes away with it or, you know, end zone fades, right? There was... I think against LSU, right? They ran that so many times just because they know the conversion rate for him on a 50-50 ball is 80-20, right? There aren't many alphas out there who can, you know, generate that kind of appeal efficiency in that kind of situation. And Keon Coleman definitely has it, man. And it's a product of being 6'4", 215 with the length that he has, but also the coordination, the timing, you know, on his game-winning touchdown, right? You know, he waited. He didn't go up right away. You know, he kind of lulled his DB into a sense of security, false security, you know, got him to wait, and then was authoritative in, you know, timing his jump and his vertical attack, and then just snared it with, you know, phenomenal hand-eye coordination, play strength, all of the above. Uh, so I don't think we've seen an alpha like Keon Coleman for a long time. I think it's really fun to watch him, and it's that much more exciting when you watch him in the other phases of his game, right? I think he had nine catches for 122 yards and three touchdowns against LSU. This past week, five catches for, I think, 86 yards and two scores as well. And um, 
he's a complete three level threat. Like he's absolutely an alpha at the catch point too. But he was separating, right? He was generating rack yards. I mean, this is a guy who converts in all phases. Him and Andrew Makuba out of the slot. They were moving him in the slot, and he had some nice reps from there. There was one rep where he feigned a post route. So he's divered inside against Andrew Makuba and then used a little swim move to get back outside on a delayed out and managed to get open on the scramble drill. A smooth catch by the sideline, right? Getting his feet in bounds. So, you know, just every box that can be checked, he checks it. And I think, you know, Harrison Jr. still has the wide receiver one mantle. It's going to be tough to unseat him there. But wide receiver two is wide open, man. And I think Keon Coleman, again, put up a very, very enticing, uh, compelling case for that, I think, in this week. And, you know, he was the driving force behind that win, ultimately. So that gives him a bonus as well. It was a fun day for him. I know that it's not down written down in our show sheet, but how have you felt so far? And, and we'll get into Jordan Travis in the next QB update that we do. But how did you feel about him in this game against that Clemson defense? Yeah, you know, I thought that Clemson defense was going to be tough. I, I mean, and they showed it too. like Florida State was able they were able to score enough points, but Andrew Makuba out of the slot, again, just a very sticky cover man who's physical, right? Nate Wiggins in particular was also very good. Hopefully he's not out for too long. I don't know if they've diagnosed his injury yeah, quite yet. He was he was, outstanding he was outstanding early in that football game. I was I, I caught the, the first half of it live and then watched the rest of it later. But he was outrageous before he was injured. And it, and it stinks that he ended up going down and I hope that he is okay because we don't want to see big time prospects like that. Nate Wiggins has really started to round into one of the better corners in college football. So hopefully he is okay. Um, but yeah, with Jordan Travis, I, I there's just a, a little bit of the instructor stuff that mm -hmm. just, it, it looks like, and you see this with a lot of young quarterbacks, a lot of young athletic quarterbacks that when they're able to make plays outside of structure, they use that as more of a crutch. And you, yeah. you see that, I mean, even with somebody like Russell Wilson, it, it's a guy who, yes, if forced to, he can operate within the pocket, within structure, but his go-to, his, his natural feel for the game is to create. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's just kind of where I am with Jordan Travis right now. I mean, like that's a good, it's a good thing to be able to create at the level that he can, but there are yeah. also more optimal situations where you just yeah. stand in the pocket, stay on rhythm, right? You know, if you go create too early, if you kind of get drawn out too early, uh, you know, what, whether it's just being more comfortable with space to work with, right. That can get you into some unsavory situations, right. Where all of a sudden pressure has no obstructions. The routes are kind of yep. going the other way. Right. So, you know, operating that way, is a double-edged yeah. sword, and I think we did see a little bit of that, especially against that Clemson defense with for guys me, like Barrett Carter, yeah. you know, that can close so quickly. For me, it's it's the Zach Wilson thing. Yeah. All right, somebody who's going to get outside of structure, make these wow throw, wow 50-50 throws as he's falling away because he has a fantastic arm, and you forget, I think, sometimes that most of quarterbacking comes from within the pocket, within getting the ball out within three seconds yeah. and not creating. And if you can't do that consistently you're not going to find consistent success at the NFL level. And so the thing you mentioned about creating too, like having a rocket arm to Jordan Travis. I don't think he has a rocket arm. Like yeah. I think it's above average in terms of strength, but I think that's where it caps off too. So that's another limitation for him. It's easier for Caleb Williams because he can be rolling opposite, you know, opposite his dominant hand to the left side and just uncork a 50 yard laser. Like it's nothing right. Jordan Travis doesn't quite have that arm strength too. So that's another limiting factor for him. Jared verse. I, I, I saw the, I saw the narrative 
I guess is what you would call it on Twitter. I, I saw the buzz around Twitter as he was playing in this football game, and it was, oh, Jared Verse is the, the best defensive player in the draft class. Jared Verse is a dude who is really, really showing out. And I thought it was funny because I was about to say something in our Slack channel, um, not to the contrary, but to, to kind of push back on that a little bit. And then you went and did that yourself. You, you, you kind of pointed out that, you know, Jared Verse, for as dominant as he has been, and again, I, I, I kind of look back at this and I kind of just, I see Jermaine Johnson. I, I see a guy who is really long and converts speed to power really, really well. And the hands overall are violent. I think I like a lot of his pass rush moves, but he's just not as flexible and he doesn't get as skinny as I want him to getting up the arc. He doesn't delete rush angles the way that I want him to because he doesn't have quite that ankle flexion and, and the hip mobility that I see from some of these other top edge rushers. And I think what we are seeing at the NFL level, especially today with NFL quarterbacks getting the ball out quicker and quicker and quicker in these offenses moving towards more line of scrimmage throws, you need to be able to win in that two and a half to three second mark. You need to be able to really delete rush angles and make things quicker on yourself. And I don't know if he has the high end type of flexibility to be a consistent creator in that respect. How do you feel about what you've seen from Jared verse so far? Yeah, just, it's, it's tough. It's tough, right? Because he is a really good player. And I, yeah. I, and yeah, I want to point that out. He's a, yeah. he's a great football player and he's probably still edge one, but I, I look at the, the best defensive player in the class stuff and I'm just, I'm not there with him. Yeah, and it's it's tough because someone has to be the best defensive player. Who's it going to be, right? You know, yeah. like right now, I don't really know who it is because Jared Verse, he's shown that he can win as a pass rusher before, and he's shown that he's got very good ability as a technician with his hands, right? So it's almost surprising that he doesn't win as often as you'd think with, with that ability, right? He's explosive. He's twitchy. He's got violent hands, really good pass rush counters in his arsenal. But a lot of the success he had on Saturday in particular was as a pursuit defender and as a run defender. And those are important things too. Like you need guys who can hold up, prevent displacement and also make plays in pursuit. And he did that. You know, he had, he had one play where he had an instant reaction to his screen and logged a really nice deflection. Uh, you know, he was, I think, holding his blocks and one gapping really well, you know, peaking and shedding. Um, and making plays in pursuit too. So no complaints in that department. It's just with a guy as explosive as he is, you know, who's got as much power capacity and he was generating push as a power rusher too, but he fades off. He fades out too often for me to say that he's the top defensive prospect in the class right now. Right. And I'm hoping that he starts to gear up a little bit more uh, because he has shown that he can produce again. He had nine sacks last year, 17 tackles for loss. So it's in there. It's in his arsenal, but you know, especially when Clemson was, you know, rallying and they controlled a lot of that game, you have reps where you can pin your ears back and pass rush a little bit and kind of be flexible and, and kind of all encompassing with your hand usage. And I just didn't see enough variance from him. I didn't see enough, uh, you know, adaptability, you know, winning on second and third counters. Right. So, you know, there's still more for me that I'm asking for from him. And then I look at the other edge rushers in the class, right? Chop Robinson, Dallas Turner. If you want bend, if you're looking for bend, you can see it there. You know, you can see the difference on their tape. And then Dallas Turner is almost three years younger than Verse, too. So for NFL teams who are trying to invest in these guys for the future and invest first-round capital, that's another factor that you take in, right? Jared Verse is a great player, but he's almost three years older than Dallas Turner, who's got visibly superior bend, who's just as explosive, right? Potentially longer, I think, right? So, you know, for me, 
when I look at the edge one conversation, it's not just about what they've done, right? Verse has produced more than Turner has to this point. But to me, Turner's younger. He's got a more all-encompassing physical profile. And that bend in particular, you know, you mentioned it, deleting those rushing angles, cornering, pinching tight angles around blockers. That's something the verse hasn't proven to me he can done consistently at a high level, right? So, you know, he's yeah. still a first-round prospect. But once you get into the round one range, you got to split hairs a little bit more precisely. And so that's where it gets complicated for him. Yeah, and and I was on record saying that I preferred Dallas Turner, and I hadn't gotten a, a full uh, glimpse of Jared Verse yet. I actually like Jared Verse more now than I do than I did based off of the tape that I saw of him last year. Uh, but yeah, Dallas Turner, just you're, you're right, he, he does have those all encompassing physical tools that Verse just doesn't have, and being almost three years younger is significant because you look at upside mm-hmm. when you are looking to draft a guy. And somebody who is younger and does not have that same sort of experience on the football field is going to be seen as the higher ceiling prospect, especially if they end up testing better as well, being a younger athlete. So I think that that is uh, very important. I think that there's also other guys in this edge class, like you said, with Chop Robinson. And, and, you know, for me, somebody who has really stuck out to me, even though the pass rush production hasn't necessarily been there yet, um, is somebody like Princely. Uman Milan uh, from Florida, number, I think he's number one now. I'm pretty yeah. sure he's number one. Yeah. Um, but him on the outside, you know, especially playing against Tennessee, where he wasn't pinning his ears back and rushing. He was when they went five wide, playing out in the slot against receivers. And I think seeing that type of upside or a type of, of versatility, and then also seeing him hit a nasty inside spin counter on a third down, which, you know, the, the quarterback, Joe Milton, one of the, the better throws that he has, has had all year was a big seam throw on that when he was under pressure from Uman Milan. But those are the types of rush moves that you needed to see from him because although he's, I think he's already a good run defender, you needed to see more out of his hands. The, the spin move has always kind of been there for him. I want to see more with his hands, but he's somebody who, if they let him start to really pin his ears back and actually rush the passer, I think he's another guy that can start to push into that, you know, top 15 range, even towards the end of the season, uh, getting, you know, more in towards the SEC play. So not the, the high end edge group that we have kind of seen, you know, here and there over the past couple of years. But I, I think that it's a group that has a, a lot of not just talent, but there's upside with these guys as well. Yeah, we don't um, have a bona fide true top 10 guy right now and real quick i just want to say first of all props to you that name you nailed it twice didn't need five minutes of practice before the podcast so we're good (laughs) we got there um but chop robinson too i gotta mention him real quick while we're on the topic of edges because this past weekend against iowa he only had one sack on the stat sheet but he was just a wrecking ball i mean he was generating pressure every other down it felt like maybe even a little more often than that uh the iowa offensive line had no answers for him and the guy you know he was on feldman's freaks he had four four speed documented uh, on that on that um, article, right? But I was still waiting for the game to truly sell me on his physical tools. This one did it. Like I'm I'm all the way in on Shop Robinson now because you know around six three two fifty, right? He doesn't quite have the length that guys like Owen Milan and and Turner do. But when you watch him operate one on one against an offensive tackle or even an offensive lineman, there were some reps where he was shaded inside over one tech or two eye and NASCAR fronts. And he was just, you know, twitchy, you know, a quick stutter step. And then he's up that gap and you you can't even you don't even have time to blink. And he's already passed you prying pass and, and chasing the quarterback down. 
Um, the explosiveness, the first step explosiveness is absurd with him. He's got phenomenal bend as well. Really good stride freedom, able to retract and extend and chase around the apex too. But then the power capacity that he derives from that bend, very impressive, right? Really quick, violent hands. Uh, so to me, Chop Robinson, I mean, aptly, he's very aptly nicknamed. I mean, he's definitely yeah. got that in his arsenal, but, um, you know, the explosiveness, the bend, the things that we look for when we separate those early first round edge rushers, right? You know, he's not quite as long as you'd want, right? He's a little more compact, but he's just a menace, man. He's just a wrecking ball. I mean, he's always hyperactive. He's always on the chase. And, you know, you love to see that from guys, you know, there's hot motor rushers and there's rushers whose hands are truly always active and i think you can say that about robinson he has that to go along with the high-end physical tools so he's another guy that's on the rise and there were a few others that really stood out this past weekend but uh the mantra the bottom line is this edge class not quite a top 10 guy yet like you said but some um, a few guys who are definitely in that round one conversation and bear watching down the line so uh, it, it's a fun yeah. group yeah um and, and you know we were talking about dallas turner um we wanted to also get into chris braswell who somebody who i, I didn't love um during the summer i thought you know i i wondered a little bit um and i can't remember the name of the player that i'm thinking of that played for nick saban a couple of years back but played on the edge for him and then started playing a little bit more off-ball linebacker uh, towards the end of his college career uh, and ended up being a day three pick and, and kind of, you know, circling around the NFL for a couple of years. But that's kind of what I looked at when I saw Braswell, somebody who is obviously a great athlete, but he's not super fluid uh, as a pass rusher or as a, an off-ball linebacker. So I was a little bit worried about him when I watched him. Um, but you brought him up here um, mm -hmm. with the Chris Braswell breakout. I haven't sat down and, and watched him specifically so far this year. What did you see from him? Yeah, this past weekend, I thought he looked a little bit better. Now, I, I agree with your assessment. I think what we saw, you know, he can't quite corner like like Dallas Turner can. Now, that's a high bar to clear. But, yeah. you know, some guys have that ankle flexion. Other guys don't. I don't think Braswell quite has that. But the power element of his game is, is very much there, I think. There were multiple reps this past weekend against Ole Miss. Uh, the Rebels were playing from behind for a lot of the game, and they were passing a lot, right? So you've got opportunities to kind of, uh, you know, on tether and you know pin your ears back like we said and i think the power capacity with him the explosiveness the length you know driving inside the torso he's done a lot of that and i think he had one and a half sacks this past weekend so you know he was pushing the pocket pinching the pocket um kind of eliminating those step up lanes for the qb right so doing all of those things uh and i thought he looked really good doing it but you can tell uh the pass rush arsenal is not is not quite there to the level you'd want it's still mainly power power exertion um, and I think he's got a lot of good tools, right? But I still think we need to see more. I'm trying to think of the name uh, that you were thinking of for the the former Alabama guy, Ryan Anderson. Do, was that it? it? No, it wasn't no. Ryan Anderson. He he wore number 33. Anthony um, Jennings, and, maybe. Yes, Anthony yeah, Jennings okay. is exactly who I'm um, who I'm thinking of. Yes. Um. So yeah, um, Chris Braswell, good day. Somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, in my opinion, more of a day three guy. Um, but you know, if, if he continues to produce. You know, especially on the edge for Alabama against SEC offensive tackles, it's someone that we're going to have to definitely keep our eyes on. He is a good athlete. Uh, he's yeah. just not quite as fluid as I, I normally like to see from my edge rushers. Tarion Arnold and Malachi Moore, uh, two guys that, you know, with, with Tarion, obviously very, very young player. He's only a redshirt sophomore. I don't know if he will declare or not this season. 
Um, thought that he took uh, his lumps, not this week against Ole Miss, but in weeks prior. Uh, somebody who just needs to get the mental side of things going with him, um, especially because in, in Nick Saban's defense, it is not an easy defense to, to maneuver. There are a, a ton of things that you have to be responsible for, even as an outside cornerback. So I think that he's still kind of going through that and learning how to play fast and play instinctively when it comes to playing within the, the structure of the defense. Uh, I think that there are miscommunications at times with him that he needs to to figure out. But as a, a natural cover guy, I think that he has really nice size and he is a fantastic athlete. Both him and Cooley McKinstry are guys who were going to play basketball and football at Alabama. Both of them obviously ended up sticking with football instead of basketball. But these are the kinds of athletes that they have on the outside at corner playing for them. And then Malachi Moore, we brought him up last week, somebody who is just absolutely flying around to the football. Every yeah. single play that I see Alabama making around the line of scrimmage on the edges seems to be coming from number 13. And that's really nice to see because he's somebody who I thought disappeared quite a bit. I mean, he quite literally disappeared a lot last year because he just was not seeing the field as much as he used to. Um, but really, really having a strong season so far this year from what I've seen. Yeah, for sure. And I think both of them, Terry and Arnold in particular, this past weekend against Ole Miss, he had a uh, kind of a bounce back day. I think he had an interception and two pass deflections. And both of the the, the uh, deflections were pretty impressive. One was an, mm -hmm. an end zone deflection where he played physical. He really kind of, you know, constricted his receiver and prevented them from getting any space. And then the other one uh, was it was press man. And um, he had a, just a little kick slide, right? Uh, outside leverage, right? Squeeze your receiver against the boundary. Um, and then he looked back at the exact right time. He timed his vertical extension perfectly and deflected the pass, right? So, you know, I think he's looking a little more patient, a little more composed. And you mentioned it. I mean, he's got good size. He's got great athleticism and fluidity, I think. So I think all of the bedrock traits are there to, you know, make an early round corner prospect, right? Earlier in the year, it was just, you know, sometimes some lapses, passing off routes, communication issues, right? Uh, and, you know, sometimes a few missed tackles and run support, too. So I think that <laughs> those are areas where he can improve. But all the all the building blocks are there to make a really good cornerback, a really good cover man. And I think we saw a glimpse of that this week. You know, I'm not sure if he declares either. He's a little young, um, but the talent is there. And he stacked a good week. He bounced back. That's what you want to see from a young player. What do you think about Malachi Moore's draft range? Uh, because, you know, he's playing mainly in the slot this year, right? And he's definitely physical. I mean, he comes downhill with a ton of force. Uh, he's got good explosiveness. And that's kind of that's verified from his high school days, too. Um, he's definitely, you know, a tenacious defender. I don't know if I see the fluidity though. I don't know if I see the fluidity in coverage. Yeah. There's sometimes that's, when that's I'm, always been, that's yeah. always been my issue with him. Um, you could see a very, very visible difference when mm -hmm. he was on the field. Uh, and when Brian branch was in the slant or in the slant in the slot last year, playing yeah. against guys in man coverage, he does not have that. I think that his best, uh, outlook in the NFL level is to be kind of a, a dime linebacker guy um, and a, a, a half field safety. I, I don't think that he's a guy that goes into the NFL level and then survives in the slot on a down in and down out basis. You're right. I, I don't think that he has that type of fluidity, fluidity with him, um, but I do think that he has the explosiveness and I do think that downhill aspect of his game, especially at the NFL level where you are starting to see less actual true linebackers in the box and more safeties playing in the box. 
I think that that's really where he fits the best. Yeah, for sure. And he, he definitely not only is physical, but he knows how to play blocks too. Like yeah. he'll, he'll go outside leverage to seal off the outside lane. He can, he can, you know, shed back inside. So, you know, he understands leverage and he knows how to play those blocks. And, you know, beyond that, having the explosiveness, the fast play pace to kind of maximize that, you like to see it. So I agree. I think probably a, a, a dime backer who's got some versatility at the next level, but probably you, you'd rather him play in space than man up guys out of the slot. So, um, but yep. the Alabama defense, man, uh, it was a great week. Kool-Aid McKinstry had another great week as well. That goes without saying, but some, uh, we, we've said before, uh, he remains our CB1 here. I don't think anything has changed there. Definitely not after Ole Miss. He had a really nice uh, near interception on an in-breaking route where, um, you know, he's not an elite athlete, like we've said. Uh, the elite explosiveness isn't quite there, but I do think it's it's just a notch below that because he does have the closing speed to undercut those in-breakers and he almost had a pick on that. And then just really good reaction speed, really good technique, uh, composure, ball skills. So he's the full package that remains the same. Uh, let's move on to another yeah. game. Well, here. for me, for yeah. me, that is where he really impresses as a man coverage corner um, is, is it's less the natural fluidity and stuff like that. And more his ball skills, especially on those in-breaking routes, the ability to hook guys and not grab as you're hooking to yeah. be able to get that hand into the passing lane, I think is a really important skill to have as a corner. And I think that that is one of the things that he does better than anybody. Washington State and Oregon State. Let's talk about Cameron Ward because we have talked about a ton of quarterbacks so far. And Ward is somebody who we've kind of not not ignored, not forgotten, but he's been kind of on the outside looking in from an NFL draft perspective. He's putting up massive numbers right now at Washington State. What have you seen from him from an NFL draft perspective uh, that is intriguing you more this year so far? Yeah, well, the biggest thing to me, man, is that, you know, whenever, and we kind of talked about it with Jordan Travis earlier, when you have a quarterback who's so inclined to produce and or create and they're very good at it, sometimes they defer to that to a fault. I feel like that was kind of the whole story for Cameron Ward last year where you can tell this is a guy who's got, he's got really good mobility, change of direction, right? Good athleticism off script, really good arm elasticity, changing those arm angles and launch points, um, but just kind of just created, right? He's kind of free free playing out there where sometimes he's not always staying in structure, staying on rhythm, just kind of flowing out and seeing what happens and kind of using that creation ability uh, to create plays. And that's, that's a good trait to have again, but you need to be equally proficient, especially in the NFL at staying on rhythm because defenses, their entire job, their entire goal is to get your QB off rhythm. So if you play into that uh, odds are you'll dig yourself into a hole. So it's something that young QBs have to, have to get around, get past. And I think Cameron Ward is starting to get past that uh, against Oregon State this past week. Not a bad defense by any stretch. He completed 28 of 34 attempts for 404 yards and four touchdowns. So far this year, he's completing 75% of his passes. Uh, he's got 13 touchdowns to no interceptions. He's been producing on the ground too. So, you know, the production is there. The efficiency is there. And just watching him play, like the creation ability is still there. A lot of the big plays that he does, he's on, he's he's getting out on rollouts, right? You know, play action boots. Um, but he's he's more controlled with it. I think he's more controlled, more composed, more disciplined, right? You know, he's using that to his advantage as opposed to just creating chaotic situations and coming up big because that's what he can do, right? This is a guy who I think looks a lot more mature as a passer, and that's the exact thing we wanted to see from him. I remember when we were talking about him in our sleepers uh, episode, it's like, yeah, he's talented. Yeah, he's he's very, very good at creating, but right now it's kind of a wild card. It's kind of hot and cold, right? It's kind of volatile. I think that volatility, for the most part, so far has really been toned down out of his game. You're seeing a guy who, you know, 
it has that creation ability under wraps now. It's, it's kind of tethered. It's controlled. And on top of that, too, great ball placement down the field. You know, he's shown that he can layer pace and touch on throws. You'd love to see that. Accurate. Good decision maker. Uh, I mean, I think just in general, you know, if I can boil it down to a word, it's that exact word that we were looking for, maturation. I think we've seen that from Cameron Ward. Obviously, a long way to go, but this was a big test for him because uh, Oregon State is another very underrated, uh, kind of slept on Pac-12 team, and or I guess Pac-2 team now. But, uh, you know, they've got talent on the defensive side. they got an offensive line that's very good. You know, they can be tough to keep up with sometimes, but Cameron Ward was really the driving force in making it a non-issue. I mean, they controlled this entire game, and I think we're seeing a young passer potentially elevating his game. We need to talk about Phoenix too. Penix. Um I'm I'm sorry for everybody. I'm sorry everybody for for what I just said there. Um because listen, Michael Penix continues to just absolutely obliterate teams down the field specifically. I don't know if I've seen somebody be so consistently on target with their ball placement on a plethora of different downfield throws and and for me I just keep looking at it like yeah like all right cool highlight he he threw it downfield and it was a really nice throw that's awesome but he just keeps doing it mm-hmm. and it doesn't go away and the consistency with his downfield passing is there and that's not something that you really look at at an NFL level specifically because they just don't attack downfield very much unless you're the Miami Dolphins uh, but this dude is absolutely he's he's been an assassin so far this year. Yeah. And he has the, the requisite arm talent is arm. I, I think, you know, everybody's talking about the arm strength and stuff. And we talk about downfield passing and, and velocity are two very different things. And I don't think that he has the same sort of velocity that the other top guys do. I don't think that he's athletic as a lot of the other top guys, but he can still create a little bit. I like the, the, um, the, the creativity, the, the ability to manipulate pockets that, that he has shown so far this year. And I want to see him play a little bit better competition still, but he looks like the best quarterback in college football right now from a production perspective right now. Are you starting to change your mind on Penix at all? Or are you still kind of where we've been with him so far this year? Well, I've always been a a touch higher on him. Uh, I think the driving velocity has always been a a big strength of his. For me, the main question has always been the injury history and how how, a team's going to view that. And I don't think he's an elite creator because he's a little stiff in the hips, right? But, you know, when he has a runway to run straight and accelerate, that's when you see that creation ability to the outside. You know, is he as natural as a guy like Cameron Ward or Caleb Williams? No, not by a long shot. But, you know, we've been mentioning it a lot on this podcast. And, you know, you see it with passers right now, like Justin Herbert, like uh, Tua Tagovailoa. Kirk Cousins is playing very well this year, too. And, you know, how they've been doing it is in the pocket, right from the pocket, just staying in rhythm, uh, being accurate, driving the ball into tight windows, uh, but also timing as well, anticipation, right? And I think Michael Penix in particular, those are things that show up often on his tape with those deep passes, the window anticipation. You know, he gets the ball out right when it needs to come out, right? And then he's got the driving velocity to fit it past tight uh, coverage defenders downfield. Uh, you know, for me, like the velocity, for me, there's different 
types of velocity, right? If that makes sense, launch velocity, like how quickly it comes out of your hand, but then whether you can drive it into the intermediate and deep ranges as well, because some quarterbacks, you know, they have a pretty fast motion, right? They got good speed in the short range, but passes kind of stall out as they go farther down the field with Penix. I don't think it stalls out. And I think that's the important thing with him. He gets the ball out on time in rhythm with that anticipation and that velocity you know, it's not the it's not elite driving. It's not elite initial velocity, but the driving velocity, you know, it sustains through the entire rep. And that's something that's very valuable to stay on schedule for those throws. So that in turn, in turn, with having the accuracy, the precision, um, you know, I think the field vision is very good with him. It kind of has to be to pick out those windows. He for sure, to be sure. He's got a phenomenal wide receiver trio to to benefit from. I mean, Roma Dunze, yeah. uh, Jalen McMillan, although he McMillan was out this past week, so it was Jalen Polk yeah. who's who was playing really well. Uh, but I think Penix, to me, he's done everything to be considered for maybe late round one consideration. I think the biggest thing is gonna be the injury history. Um, but I think the driving velocity is there. And then, you know, like we've said in previous podcasts, once you deem a quarterback has a, the passable physical tools. Then yep. you go to the operational side. And to me, Michael mm-hmm. Penix, you know, mechanically, he's still a little wonky in the lower body, but it works for him. Right. So I'm not I, the mechanics and, and dude, I'm, I'm such a hater and, and I hate that I'm a hater, but I, but I am. I just hate his throwing motion. I hate everything about it. Not just the lower body, not the footwork, not just the way that he torques his hips. It's the entire motion. I can't stand it. And maybe it's just because he's left handed and I might have to turn his film around and see it that way but it's just it's just an ugly motion and it works so i have to stop being a hater when it comes to that colorado and oregon listen disclaimer this is a football team that we thought could win you know three four five maybe six games this year and the hype just got out of hand Uh, it's a good football team with a lot of top end talent they're young there was like a million transfers from this football team that won a single game last year. So yeah, they should have gotten curb stomped by Oregon and they did get curb stomped by Oregon. But what did you think of Schroeder Sanders in this game against that defensive line going up against the Colorado offensive line, which was a disaster. And then the talent on that in the defensive backfield for Oregon as well. Yeah, I think, um, I think the first question you have to ask is what does this mean for Shadur and his stock, right? Because he's been one of the hottest passers on college football uh, for three weeks now, right? Incredibly efficient in control. You know, we talked about how impressed we were with his early season performances. And then it wasn't a a terrible performance from him. He just never had a chance to get into a rhythm uh, or sustain any drives, right? And that was reflected in the lack of production. Um, But there were some issues, I think, that, that popped up. I think the biggest thing, the thing that pops up for me is that there's different, um, what's the word, different tiers of, of poor offensive line play, right? The offensive line, I don't think has ever been good this year for Colorado. They, they're yeah. just, they got to keep building up in the trenches and that's going to take time. It's Dion's first year there, but you really saw the mismatch this week, right? In previous weeks, they've been able to, you know, say, stay, uh, kind of, within a semblance of cohesion, right? You know, on, on a thread and they haven't been perfect, but Shadur has had enough space to navigate through the pocket, right? This week, he rarely had any. Uh, I think that was a product of the edge rushers, Jordan Birch, Brandon Dorless. I mean, they're just so powerful. 
And there were multiple reps where they they either drove their tackle inside a, an entire gap and just took away those step up lanes or they countered inside. And so either way, you're taking away that space from Shadur. He was drifting back a lot. He clearly wasn't comfortable. He was getting the ball out really quickly. A lot of the times, sometimes rushing throws or kind of dishing out 50-50 balls when he shouldn't have. Uh, so I think in a vacuum, this isn't a great game to evaluate him, but it is important to know that this was the first time this offensive line had this much of a mismatch. And this is what happened to Shadur. Now we've seen the NFL level, like, you know, the Giants playing the 49ers, right? I was just I was yeah. just about to bring up the, the New York Giants. Like, I, I personally don't think Daniel Jones has played poorly this year. Mm-hmm. But you have to be able to separate the player from the situation or the environment that they, that they find themselves in. Yeah. There, there's no quarterback. Patrick Mahomes would struggle to find success in that New York Giants offense. It's just the way that it goes. You need something yeah. there to help you out. And if you have to consistently get the ball out in two and a half seconds, you're not going to be able to push the ball downfield to guys. You're not going to be able to create explosive plays. So you're going to have days where you're 21 uh, of 31 for 145 yards. Like yeah. It's just the way that this is going to go because you don't have the ability to create explosive plays. Mm-hmm. And and especially when an offensive line can neither run block or pass protect, it, pa- play action doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, just go and ask the Tennessee Titans. I mean, it, it's just it, it's you're not going to find success as a quarterback. And 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 I think that Ryan Tannehill is another guy who's a great example of when you're in the right environment, when you have the offense, and you're able to stay in neutral game scripts. Ryan Tannehill is a guy who can be a, a very good quarterback at the NFL level. But when you force him to drop back and pass behind a bad offensive line with questionable weapons on the outside or mm-hmm. a young guy in DeAndre Hopkins who they force feed the ball to, the, the, the production is not going to be there. It's not going yeah. to be a pretty sight. So yeah. I think that that's kind of what we have to look at when we look at Sanders' game against Oregon is a bad environment to, to find success, and that's just kind of what showed yeah for sure you need to strike a balance of you know there are takeaways that we can glean from this for him as a prospect he's not perfect under pressure right now there are times when he'll rush throws or drift back if the interior gets taken away from him right so you want to keep improving on that there were a few questionable decisions under pressure but at the same time the situation was not really conducive to success or finding a rhythm at all for him not only was the offensive line severely outmatched he was also missing his best ball winner travis hunter uh, so I think putting those into the consideration, you know, you kind of you give him a little more slack. Let's see if he can bounce back next week against USC. Caleb Williams, that's going to be fun. And uh, that USC defense is not quite as fearsome up front as the Oregon defense. Yeah. So I think he'll have more time to throw. I think that'll be more of a firefight, a higher scoring affair. Real quick before we move on from this one. Jordan Birch, South Carolina transfer, looked really good in this game. Could be an edge sleeper this year. I've been a big fan of Doorless for a while, alignment versatile. Yeah. But Jordan Birch is like 6'6", 290, and he's out there rushing from 5-tech and 7-tech and pushing inside the pocket, right? I mean, the power capacity is really impressive with him. And then Kyrie Jackson, Alabama transfer at corner. A big reason why Shadur couldn't get anything going because Xavier Weaver, whenever he went vertical, Kyrie Jackson was right there with him, six foot three, around 200, but had the speed to drape those vertical routes, really good ball skills, too. Uh, and he had the length and the physicality to dictate those routes as well. So Christian Gonzalez was a big riser for Oregon, obviously, last year. Went to the Patriots in round one. He's been phenomenal. Lights out so far. Kyrie Jackson, man, had three pass deflections against Colorado. Completely put the lid on that passing attack. The pressure helped as well. But Kyrie Jackson looked phenomenal. And I'm definitely adding him to my list after this one. He played yeah. really good. 
and and there's something to say about these guys, you know, especially from two schools in the Pac-12 or, or now the Pac-2, but Oregon and Washington are, are two schools that year in and year out, the corners, they might not be the best athletes in the world. They might not be the most fluid. They might not be the most explosive, but they are incredibly well coached. And, and that shows up at the NFL level very early for a lot of these guys, I, I, I tend to find. Bo Nix, somebody who, you know, is it the Oregon offense? Is it Bo Nix? Like, where is the, the kind of seesaw with those two things? Yeah. I don't know, somewhere in the middle, in my opinion. <laughs> I think, uh, I, you know, I, I love to sit on the fence. I'm notorious for it. This game in particular, I think it was pretty easy for him because they were in control the entire time. So I'll go quick. I know we still have one more game we want to get to, and we're running out of time yeah. here. But Bo Nix, to me, uh, there was that one lapse with field vision uh, that he had on the interception. I, I still feel like he can improve there. But you look for a quarterback you can build an offense around. This is a guy. I mean, he stays in rhythm. He stays on schedule on those rhythm passes. You know, he's very good on design rollouts. You know, the creation capacity is definitely there for him. Really natural off-platform thrower. Uh, very accurate and precise, too. He's been that way since last year. But, you know, I think you have a guy you can build an offense around. That's the important part for me. You know, and I think there are going to be times where he'll kind of make that tough decision where he'll just kind of yep. try and force the throw. Work, work on the bozo. Work on the bozo, Gene. Exactly. Kind of get, kind of get some of those those throws out of your system and you are you're looking at something somebody who can be a a legitimate nfl quarterback at the next level even though you know it 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 does feel like he's been in college for about 27 years i saw somebody (laughs) make the joke that him and cam newton were in school i mean he started as a true freshman i mean so he right from the jump i mean he was he was on the forefront yeah at at auburn so big spotlight so there's a reason for it but he's he's been around a while yeah um one more game uh we're gonna go through this one really quickly and then we are actually going to rank the edge rushers we didn't rank them earlier when we were talking about them but we need to do that um ohio state notre dame those edge rushers for ohio state against joe alt who won that matchup i think uh honestly joe alt i think came came out on top i think blake fisher had a few good reps too i think jack sawyer was actually the more disruptive of the two between him and jt tui molau i think we've said multiple times tui molau has really struggled to deliver on his top end tools former five-star guy i didn't see enough disruption from him this was a good tackle duo to go up against but joe alt in particular as well looked very composed i think that's one thing that really shows up on his tape really quick out of his stance very composed he's got the length to attack inside the torso and latch and then blake fisher as well he's got the size and the length of physicality right to get inside your chest and kind of attack um and i think they both came out on top i think that notre dame tackle duo looked really good in run in run blocking too i mean joe alt was you know blocking in space i mean you know, former tight end, and it shows. Yep. I mean, the dude's yep. mobility for his size is insane. Matching linebackers and defensive backs at the second level, um, you know, you don't build them like that. So he's the early first-round guy for sure. But I, yep. I thought Notre Dame's tackles won that. I thought, in general, Notre Dame's trench play was really good in this one. Now, I think Tyleek Williams, Ohio State defensive lineman, he lined up on the tackles a couple times and got some really impressive push uh, for a guy who's 6'3", around 315, 320. I mean, explosive, powerful. Uh, so this was an eye-opening game for me, uh, for Tyleek Williams. He looked really good, I think, when he was kind of moving across alignments. But the edge rushers, uh, up and down. Jack Sawyer had a few nice reps, but overall, I thought the Notre Dame tackle duo handled them pretty well. Yeah, um, and then Travion Henderson, somebody who you were very, very high on coming into the season. I believe you had him as your RB1, and I'll tell you what, it really looks like he's still RB1 because that burst, and and this is something that I'm really starting to take into account more at the NFL level. I mean, we saw it with Devin A. Chain 
flat just a, a day oh, ago yeah. on Sunday. Speed kills. Mm-hmm. And, and you're seeing that more and more at the NFL level, the game is becoming a little bit less physical. They are legislating physicality out of the game, and, and rightfully so. But speed is has never been at a bigger advantage. And if you can pair speed with ability as a running back as well, which is something that, that Henderson definitely has. I mean, that, that touchdown run that he had yesterday was or on, on Saturday was unbelievable uh, because he showed not just the, the burst that he has, but he showed the burst. He showed the creation ability at the second and the third level to actually get through that tackle along the sidelines, stay in inbounds, and then still score. Um, he's got the juice, and that was a lot of fun to watch. Let's rank these edge rushers really quickly, and then let's get out of here. Give me your top five right now. My top five, because I know I know you're gonna say Dallas Turner for your edge one, probably right, because you've been you've been in that camp for a while. And you go, because like, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not talking that. You go okay, first. Okay, okay. I didn't I didn't want to be like a copycat here, but I think no. You got to go first. <sighs> all right, all right. If I have to make a choice, I think Dallas Turner is trending in that direction for me. Very slightly, I'm okay. gonna go with Dallas Turner edge one over Jared. Well, we already talked about it. We already yeah, talked yeah, about yeah. it. Age tools. Those are my one two. Number three. I'm going to go with Chop Robinson. I mean, I okay. think what he put on display against Iowa was very impressive to me. Uh, Braylon Trice was up there for me. He's been a little quiet this year. The 2022 tape was really impressive to me. But Princely Uman Milan, I've long been a very big fan of his tools. I think he's a little bit bendier. And I think that he is starting to convert. He's a phenomenal run defender. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go with uh, Dallas Turner, Jared Verse, Chop Robinson, Princely, number four. And we'll go with Braylon Trice, number five. I think he's got the ability. Okay, I am Dallas Turner at number one. I am Jared Verse at number two. Number three for me is going to be Prince Lee Umamilan. I'm big, big fan of his so far this year. I love the versatility that he brings. At number four for me is going to be Chop Robinson. And then at number five, we are going to go with Braylon Trice. There right? we go. Yeah, five Let's for get five. It. There we go. 45 minutes in. Let's get out of here. Guys, as always, I love you. We will be back on Thursday. Goodbye.